I, I don't know if you noticed, but the one place in the uh, tomahawk throwing that they put me was the only time that day that I didn't make it stick. <laughs> I tried more than once, and I could not make that thing stick. I don't know how they do that. Um, I just, I just want to say I know that uh, Pastor John just did a lot to talk about. But do you understand what you have in Ohio do you understand how great this team is and how incredible your campground is and, and the real sense of God's presence and this incredible unity? This is not, everybody doesn't have this. We should be really grateful for what God is doing in Ohio. And, and I'll tell you, I, I could not be more grateful to uh, be under Pastor John's leadership. And uh, I think our, our best days really are ahead of us. Amen? Really do believe that. Okay, it's Thursday night. Um, Got a couple problems that we're having to work through uh, with a few of you. Uh, I had someone uh, explain to me at dinner last night that apparently some of you think I have an accent. Um, I'm not sure exactly where that comes from. Apparently I say, how, how do you say the name of the state that we live in? Say it. One, two, three. Isn't that what I say? Someone said that I say, now I'm afraid to say it because you're going to make fun of me, but, but Ohio, doesn't that sound normal? See, that's not Southern, you know, not that I'm ashamed to be Southern and all that, but uh, I'm working on uh, trying to catch all of the lingo here. Uh, so I'm looking forward to what God's going to do tonight. Would you join me tonight? I just really uh, even texted a few friends while we were there. Just really feel a, a real need for the presence and the anointing of God. I know it's our last night together, but I want it to be our best night together. And I, I really believe if you'll have your heart open and you'll, you'll be expectant and not put the weight on the guy doing the talking, but take your part in saying, God, I want all you have for me. I think God will answer that prayer tonight. So would you pray with me now? And let's just, in, in your own words, and I'll pray in mine, but let's just invite God to fill these moments that we have together with His presence. Would you do that? Father, I am so grateful to You for what You've done this week. Thank You, Lord, for families that have been drawn closer together. Thank You, Lord, for the times that we have sensed Your presence during worship and the time around the altars. But Lord, I've got to have You now. Jesus, I must have fresh anointing for right now. And I pray, Lord, not only for myself, but for all of us in this room. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you allow who you are to invade where we are so that we become more like you? And God, let tonight be a night when miracles are released in people's lives, when those who have been hungry for the infilling of the Holy Spirit are baptized in the Holy Spirit tonight. Those who are struggling with sickness or illness in their life, let tonight be the night when healing virtue is released. Let those who've been working through some worry and anxiety find peace and hope and joy in you. Jesus, we've got to have you, so we welcome you. We welcome you. We welcome you. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, 
Lord. We need you, God. We need you, God. We need you, God. In the name of the Lord. I'm going to show you a picture. If you wouldn't mind putting that up there for me, please. Uh, the spot in the kind of the bottom left side, you see the words Par Avenue. I used to live in the house. You see the word share right at the top right corner? The house just to the left of that. I used to live there. So we went down that Dawn Drive a lot. That's in Memphis, a, part, a little town we call Fraser. It's a part of Memphis. And whenever we would get to that Par Avenue and uh, Dawn Drive crossing, when I was with my dad in the car, and no matter what direction we were coming in, we would always get in the west lane. We would always, right at that intersection. And I'm sure if someone was behind us, they would have thought, why is he dodging? Why is he swerving? Uh, but it didn't matter. We always went on that west side of the street. The reason is, one day my cousin and I were, uh, we had been practicing at that house in the top right corner and something had happened with the drums and we had a few minutes and, and he asked me to go for a ride on his motorcycle and I did and we jumped, I jumped on and uh, we took off and we came down Dawn Drive and when we got to par, a uh, young lady who had had her license, I think all of uh, two weeks, uh, and it, that doesn't really matter, uh, but she pulled out and when she did, we couldn't stop. That's what they tell me. I don't remember any of it, to be honest. Uh, but that day, uh, uh, an accident took place and it ended up taking, my, my cousin died that day and I ended up in the hospital, but, but not for long. Uh, but... Where the accident happened, uh, there was some blood, and my dad couldn't drive across it. He couldn't. Every time, even after it had rained and rained, you know, dad just couldn't drive across that. And uh, that blood on the ground was a grim reminder of a very difficult time in our lives, and, and that's just how my dad responded to it. I wonder if it was something similar to that. Something like that grim reminder for, for Moses and the Israelites on one particular occasion. You can go ahead and put that next slide up. Moses had been uh, up on the mountain with God. And it was probably the most, or at least one of the most important meetings between man and God that ever took place. In fact, it was at that meeting that God gave Moses the tablets with the Ten Commandments. The, you know, the same ones that we still reference and live by these thousands of years later, 4,000 somewhat years later. And Moses comes down from the mountain and he's approaching the place where God's people were to be waiting for him. And when he got there, the sight that he saw so infuriated him, he saw God's people and, and he had been up there with God. I mean, can you imagine how pure and how clean Moses must have felt. How, 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 how awesome would that be? 40 days and nights with God. The presence of God all around you. Could you possibly feel more holy, more pure, more righteous and all of that? And Moses comes down and there in front of him is now a golden calf. 
And, it, and the people of God are dancing all around this golden calf in worship. And, and I don't know if it was because Moses felt so pure, so holy, or, or what all was going through his mind, but it infuriated him so that he broke the tablets. He goes over to God's people and he, he begins to deal with the situation and, and, and he's following God's lead and, and he says to them, okay, whoever's on God's side, it's kind of like this, this incredible, which doesn't even seem right, but in an instant, God offers this, this hand of mercy. And God says to them, he tells Moses, and Moses draws a line and he said, whoever's on God's side, come over here. And, and some of you might look at that and think, boy, that was like throwing down the gauntlet. But actually, if you consider the circumstances, what an awesome act of mercy. They could have stepped across the line, but they didn't. Just the Levites did. And then, I don't, I don't even know how to describe this. I, I, can't, I can't bring myself to picture what it looked like. Um, but Moses says to the Levites, who weren't soldiers, uh, you know, just by nature. They, weren't, they were God's Levites, the priesthood. And God says to them, tell them to get a sword. Moses says, tell them to get a sword and begin to go and start killing. I, I, can't, I can't get there. I don't, I, don't, I don't see that in my head, how, how that all worked. But we know what happened. And 3,000, 3,000 men spilled their blood on the ground that day. One of the most horrific days, because it wasn't a battle against an enemy. I mean, this was this awful, ugly, horrific judgment that was taking place because of the horrible place they had gotten to in their life. Are are y'all tracking with me? I mean, it's bad stuff. That day... And maybe even that ground might have still been stained or still moist with the blood of that, out, of that, that horrible day uh, when this conversation that we're about to read takes place. At the very least, the memory was fresh in the mind of Moses. And Moses is having a conversation with God. This is a little lengthy in the reading of Scripture, but I think we need to get the whole picture before, get the whole house before we start walking through different rooms. So here we go. Exodus chapter 33. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Depart, go up from here, you and your people, whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt. Now remember, we're very close to what has just happened. You and your people to the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, because you are an obstinate people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard this sad word, they went into mourning. And none of them put on his ornaments. For for the Lord had said to Moses, say to the sons of Israel, You are an obstinate people, should I go up with you in your midst? For just a moment I would destroy you. Now therefore, put off your ornaments from you, that I may know what I shall do with you. 
So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take, now it's kind of like he kind of does a little, uh, we kind of step out of the moment to just kind of explain a little backstory. Verse 7, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting, and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Now, whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. Wouldn't you like to see that? He goes in and the presence of God. And the Lord would speak with Moses. Verse 10. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship, each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. Just as man speaks to a friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, wouldn't depart from the tent. Then Moses said, we're kind of out of the back story now, we're back in the moment. Then Moses said, see you say to me, bring up this people. But you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I've known you by name. You have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, and Moses is talking to God, I pray you, if I found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, this is God talking, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, Do not lead us from here. Let me paraphrase. If you don't go, we don't go. I'm not leaving without you. For how can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight. And I have known you by name. Let me just show you the key verse that I want us to focus on tonight. And I know that's a very, that's kind of a tough beginning. But trust me, I believe God's got some stuff for us. And I believe tonight there's going to be some awakening in our hearts and in our spirits about what God wants to do in us and in you as an individual. The the key verse is verse number 16. Can you show just that verse up there? I mean, verse number 15, he says, Then he, and that's Moses, said to him, God, says to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up up from here. For Moses, now, here's the thing. Moses had been through a lot, and he had gone a lot of places and done a lot of things. But for Moses, everything hinged on the presence of God. Everything. And I think we could learn something from Moses. It really uh, allows the, the church of 30 people to have a major impact where God has put them and a church of 3,000 to have a major impact because it's not about the size of the building and even a family that comes from a great line of ministry or one like me. I was the first in my family. You know, people, you know, my, my wife 
was the daughter of a pastor and she married me. I don't think she had any idea what she was doing. But it, God takes and, and changes things by His presence. And, and the presence of God is really what everything hinges on. I love education. I love skills. I love gifts. But really, everything hinges on the presence of God. Would you agree with that? For Moses, there was no, no question about that. Now, when I say the presence of God, I'm really talking uh, uh, specifically. because Let me just break it down like this. The presence of God kind of infers three things. The presence of God kind of infers three things. The first thing, the presence of God kind of encapsulates is the omnipresence of God. That's the everywhere presence of God. Psalm 139, David said, where can I go from your presence? And he began to say, if I go there, you're there. If I go up there, you're there. Down there, you can't go anywhere that the omnipresence of God is not. Is that true or false? It's absolutely true. So to... to to, to, to say the presence of God and just mean the omnipresence of God, th- that's everywhere. I mean, there's nowhere that he can't be. Now, the other inference uh, when we're talking about the presence of God is his DNA in us. Let me explain to you what I mean. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God created man in his, in his image, like God. That, that, in that sense, God would always be where we are in that sense. Uh, my son, Lucas, now lives in Florida and in, in Lakeland. I have another one who lives in, in, uh, in another part of Florida. But no matter where they go, they're my sons and there are things about them that reflect me. So in a sense, I'm kind of with them. And no matter who I am, I mean, I'm created in the image of God. That doesn't mean my actions always reflect His presence, but His DNA is in us. And you know what? His DNA is in the drug addict in your town or that that prodigal son. There's still the DNA of God in there. It's true. We're all the family of God in the sense that He created us. We're His creation. So the presence of God would infer the omnipresence of God. It would also talk about the the DNA of God. But then there's a third part. And that's the manifest presence of God. The manifest presence of God with us and through us. If you think about it, it started in the Garden of Eden. God would walk with them. He would partner with them. God with them and they, they worked together. They named the animals. They had dominion over everything on the earth. We see it as the presence of God would come and invade the time and space of earth and change and implement His plan. You saw it when, when uh, God came down, His manifest presence with Elijah on Mount Carmel when He prayed and the fire of God fell. That was the manifest presence of God. God's manifest presence appeared to Abraham and a totally depressed and, and worn out tired man suddenly had hope and renewed faith to believe God to fulfill what God had created him for. It happened when God uh, showed up for David when he was in the presence of a giant and the manifest presence of God was so strong there that one stone in the hand of a boy could take down the best that the enemy had in a giant. We see it in the book of Acts when Peter and John commanded a paralyzed man to rise in the name of Jesus and walk. And what happened? He walked. That was the manifest presence of God. We see it when Paul commanded demons to leave people and the demons suddenly had to go. That was the manifest presence of God. When Philip was at one place and suddenly he was transported to another, that wasn't Philip's doing. That was the manifest 
presence of God. The manifest presence of God working with and through the life of one of his children. It's an awesome sight to behold. It's a powerful reality. And listen, for Moses, he really knew all of them. Think about it in a moment. The omnipresence of God. Think about that. God had made the universe. He was God over all of creation. And certainly Moses knew him on that level. Would you, would you agree with that? Now, DNA, we really see that in Moses' life because there came a point when Moses came to grips with uh, he was actually one of God's creation and one of God's people. In fact, it so affected him that when he saw an Egyptian uh, uh, mistreating an Israelite, Moses rose up and killed the Egyptian. That's because he began to come in contact with the DNA presence of God. But when... when uh, uh, we talk about the manifest presence of God. That's different for Moses. It was the manifest presence of God that got Moses' attention at the burning bush. It was the manifest presence of God that brought mighty miracles in Egypt when God sent him there to deliver his people. It was the mighty manifest presence of God that split the Red Sea and, and made a place for God's people to walk through and then closed it just at the right time to finish off the enemy. Moses and the Israelites had lived under the oppressive hand of faith for years with the omnipresence of God there. Moses and the Israelites had lived under the, the, the hard taskmasters of Egypt with the DNA presence of God there. But when the manifest presence of God showed up, the whole landscape started to change. You understand where I'm going? See, it, the, the, the omnipresence of God and the DNA presence of God had been there. But when the manifest presence of God showed up and God sent a deliverer by that manifest presence and through that manifest presence began to send those plagues and perform those miracles, everything began to change. So I believe and I know with all of my heart that when Moses said to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, he wasn't talking about the omnipresence of God, nor was he talking about the DNA presence of God. He was talking about the manifest presence of God. He had lived in, in, in a, a outside of a relationship with God. And he'd lived with oppressed people uh, with the DNA presence of God. But when he experienced the manifest presence of God, he said, I don't want to ever be without that. I never want to live. I don't want to lead. I don't want to do life. I don't want to do what you've given me to do if I don't have the manifest presence of God. I think Moses had it right. I think life without the manifest presence of God is more than just boring. It's almost shameful for the manifest presence of God to be available to someone and them say, I'm okay without it. It's awful, but it happens. Moses had good reason to be afraid that the manifest presence of God wouldn't go with them. Moses had a legitimate question about who was going with them. And I believe Moses had a gut feeling that God might not be going because remember what they had just been through? 3,000 people died. The nation of Israel, while God was speaking with Moses, the, the nation of Israel was starting to turn, turn away and worship a, a false god. Moses had every reason to be concerned that God wouldn't go with them. They'd sin that badly. And Moses was concerned that God wouldn't be there. And he fell into this place. Let me just tell you a couple things. Because I want to give us some time to pray tonight. You may want to write these down. 
And let God kind of work with you through these in the next several days. The aim of God from the very start was to share His manifest presence with us. The aim of God from the very start was to share His manifest presence of God. Just think what it started like. When God created Adam and Eve, He would come and in His manifest presence walk with them in the cool of the day. He would spend time with them. He empowered them to oversee His creation. That privilege is what so infuriates the devil that we could have the manifest presence of God with us. In fact, his agenda from the very beginning is to do something to disrupt that connection. In fact, he saw what was happening and that's how he came. He came and he tempted Adam and Eve and and you know how that all turned out. But his intent was to destroy the connection that came with the manifest presence of God and sadly it worked. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 says it like this. After that sin, after that choice had been made, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Among the, They hid from the presence of God. What the enemy had set up had worked. It's a horrible thing when the enemy has his way. I was uh, talking with uh, some of those who were working with... Uh, uh, the rescue efforts after 9-11 and, and one of the uh, uh, military leaders had said to, uh, it was my friend Carl, and uh, he said, you know, what, what blows our mind is that, the plan, that that many planes could actually get taken up. We don't know how many others may have been, but the plan worked and sometimes the enemy's plans worked and it did work here. The first response of mankind when, when the sin had been committed was to separate themselves from the presence of God. They hid themselves from the presence of God. Just a short time later. Now it begins to uh, uh, reveal itself in the way people were living. Their son Cain committed sin and jealousy. Even murder. And the most painful part of what happened to Cain. Was being placed outside the presence of God. Genesis 4.13. Cain replied to the Lord. My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land. And from your presence. David knew what it was like to be uh, to, to run the risk of having God leave you. In fact, the scripture says in Psalm 51, 11, David's prayer was, God, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, there are a few things that need to be said to the church today because I'm not so sure. In fact, I'm praying before this and I'm asking God to help me to be able to communicate this and, and realizing I struggle myself. I don't know that we contend for the manifest presence of God like we should. I'm not so sure that if we had gotten the offer that Moses was given, that we wouldn't have just taken it. In fact, I want to be careful here because I do not have the authority or the, uh, the right to judge. But it looks to me like many in the body of Christ have willingly accepted a place that doesn't require the manifest presence of God. Let me just give you this next thing. It is possible to succeed in a purpose with God's help but be minus the manifest presence of God. 
It is possible. Some of you may not agree with this, but I'm going to show you in the scripture it's true. It is possible to succeed in a purpose with God's help, but be minus God's manifest presence. Watch how the scripture says this. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here. You and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give this land. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivites, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. It was all that they had been promised. I'm going to go, I'm going to make sure you have help getting in there and overtaking the enemy. And you're going to get to take a land flowing with milk and honey. And if the statement had stopped there, if the verse had just stopped there, everything would seem okay. You're going to get to drive out the enemy, take possession of the land. It's going to be flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be everything that you look for, everything that you long for. But it didn't stop there. The last part of the verse says, but I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people and I might destroy you along the way. You can, we can succeed in our efforts. God's saying you can, you can succeed in your efforts and I will even help you do so by sending an angel. Wouldn't that be awesome to have an angel helping you along the way? Come on, I mean, that's a pretty good deal. How many of you would like to have an angel leading worship for you on Sunday morning? Tell you what, people would worship better, wouldn't they? Come on. I mean, how would you like to have an angel taking up the offering? Now, we got some people giving. What if that dude was 12 foot tall? And what if when he smiled, fire came out of his mouth? You could, you could pay off your building and you wouldn't even have to have the other miracles. Right? God says, I'm going to send an angel. He'll help you. He'll, he'll lead you and get things ready for you. But then he said, but you've become so indifferent. You've become so hardened in your relationship that I can't go with you. My manifest presence, the very presence that got you here, stops now. God's love for them was so overwhelming that he would say, I want you to see. Now, just think about that. Someone could read that statement and think, well, that's not nice of God. But imagine this, God, is, His love was so, uh, so real and so overwhelming to Him. Even though they had done what they had done, and they had gotten to the place that God knew He could not, without something changing, be able to be amongst them. And, but He still said, but listen, I'll still make sure you're okay. I'll send an angel. You'll still get to go. You'll still get to take the land. You can do the work and accomplish the plan. But you will not fulfill your highest destiny unless you have the manifest presence of God. I heard a pastor say, not too long ago, he was talking about Jesus. And he said, you know, he's talking about the miracles that Jesus did. And I think sometimes we, we read the stories and we actually, without even thinking about it, say, but that was him. Not us. Why, if the purpose of Christ's coming was just to die on the cross, why all that ministry in between? Why did He go through all that He went through? Why did He heal uh, those who were blind? Why did He raise the dead? Why did He, why did he uh, speak and, and demons would flee? Why did He do all of that? I'll tell you why I believe. 
He was modeling what it would be like to live with the manifest presence of God in a life of one submitted to Him. I believe if that pastor said that if God did all the things that He did because He was God, so much Jesus, then I'm impressed. But that He did all of those as a man submitted to the manifest presence of His Father, then I can't be happy where I am. I've got to go farther. Let me give you something else. Moses wanted to know the heart of God more than he wanted to know the plans of God. We see in verse 13, it says, Now therefore I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, this is Moses talking, let me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. And God said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said back to God, If your presence doesn't go with us, and don't lead us up. We'll just stay here. I think it's so interesting. When Moses said in essence. Here's what Moses said. Listen. Moses said. I want you more than I want to succeed. I want your presence more than I want a strategy that will work. I don't want to do something that looks like success. Even if it fulfills a promise that's been spoken of generations before me. I don't want any of that. If I have to have it without you. It's been said as an indictment. And I can just say as a pastor. Been in hundreds and hundreds of services. And I'm talking about services where I was the pastor. So I don't have to look at anybody else's life to say this. But sometimes when you get to the end. You realize we could have done everything we did today. If God didn't exist. But think about that a moment. We could have sang the songs. We could have gave the speech. We could have took the money. We could, we could do all that we just did and somebody who didn't know God could have been in the room. Now, I know our songs talk about Him. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just saying to you, I think Moses had something that I want. I think Moses had a desire for the manifest presence of God. And now we have something that Moses wanted that he didn't even get to experience. We now live in the aftermath of redemption. We now live in the aftermath, not just of a Messiah who would die for us, but who would send the Holy Spirit so that we could be eternally and forever and every day and every moment of our life connected to the manifest presence of God. But yet it's easy to just do church. It's easy to just do things. God wanted us to be uh, in His manifest presence. And He wanted them to experience it more than they did. He was waiting. When you see how the story turned out, Moses said, God, I want you more than I want to take them into the land. I want you more than I want to overcome the enemy. I want your presence. Because if I don't have your presence, I don't have anything. And when God heard Moses say, I want you, I want your presence more than I want the stuff. Then God said, okay, now you can have my presence. I will go with you. I'm going with you. You can never escape the omnipresence of God. Nor can you divorce yourself from the DNA presence of God. But you and I have such a huge part to play in determining whether or not we participate in the manifest presence of God. Do you believe that? 
You and I can aim for success concerning a purpose, even a godly purpose, and succeed without the manifest presence of God. But what God wants us to have is His presence. I don't want to get through this. I don't want to get to the end of this road and look back and see my hands all over it. I want to get to the end of the road. And when I look back at where God has taken me and what God has done, I want to see His hands all over it. Why? Listen, there's probably some of you here who maybe you've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you think about this baptism of the Holy Spirit, what an incredible setup by God. When you, when you think about this, he said, wait until you are endued with power from on high. So it's really cool. We know that the, the coming of the Holy Spirit was to infill us with power to be able to, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. We know it had to do with power, but when the Holy Spirit came, And this wasn't in the original thing that Jesus said. I know it was always in the heart of God. God had a plan. But when Jesus said, power is coming, a gift is coming. But when the day of Pentecost came, there came this fire. This symbol of the manifest presence of God. And the fire came and it didn't just rest on a leader or two. The scripture says the fire distributed itself and it rested on each of them. So the manifest presence of God wasn't just for leadership. Are y'all still with me tonight? The manifest presence of God had now been, by the incredible plan of God, divided and settled on all of them there. There were women, there were, there were nobodies in the whole deal, there were leaders. Everybody now had access to this manifest presence of God and it rested on them. And then the scripture says, now get this. And then they all begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Isn't that cool? That the first signal of the manifest presence of God really allowed a human being to do something that was beyond their abilities. It was beyond their capacities. They began to speak with other tongues as the manifest presence of God. That was God saying to the newborn church of the living God, this is not about just going through the motions. You are my hands extended. Look at the last three years. See what I did. See the blind having their eyes open. See the lame getting up to walk. You now have not only the assignment, but I have given you my manifest presence and I am determined in the name of Jesus I don't want to win a battle I don't want to do the stuff I don't want to have a strategy that builds an organization if he's not in it not without you now that's easy to say now in this setting And it's easy to say amen to. But we have to make some decisions. Are we willing to live without the manifest presence of God? You you know, I understand that healings weren't all that happened in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I understand that. And I understand that even in the book of Acts, I understand it wasn't all miracles. 
But doggone, it happened a lot. Don't you think so? I mean, Acts chapter 1, they're praying, they're seeking God, and, you know, and they, 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 they stay on that. And then in Acts chapter 2, whoosh, the manifest presence of God and 3,000 people get into the kingdom of... You know, it's kind of cool when you think about it. Now, back when Moses uh, was given the law, that day really... That's what the original day of Pentecost was connected to was the giving of the law. And on that day, 3,000 people died. But then on the day of Pentecost that we now get to live in this uh, outpouring of God, 3,000 people got saved. In Acts chapter 2, that, now in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go walk into the temple and, and a, a lame man gets healed. It just happened time and time again. It just seems to me that the people outside of the kingdom of God have the right to look at us and expect to see evidence of the manifest presence of God. Amen. They have the right to expect that when they come to the body of Christ and they come to a service where we're worshiping God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our, they have the right to expect that more happens there than did at the Elks Club Amen. or the local Rotary meeting. Because people can do good organization. But we, we're the ones that are supposed to have not just the omnipresence, not the DNA presence, but the manifest presence of God. So here's my simple challenge. Dan, you can go ahead and come with your team. Here's my simple challenge. Just, just answer this question in your heart. Does your life... And I'm not, please do not receive condemnation because I'm not giving it and I don't believe the Holy Spirit's giving it. But does your life reflect the manifest presence of God? I can think of times when God did some incredible things. I can. But is God's manifest presence evident in my life, in my life now? Not everything is a miracle. I get that. You know, I had to say to my dad, as he was walking through this cancer thing, I had to say to him, when, when I began to get that sense in my heart that, that this wasn't going to end in a miracle. And, and I'm, I'm not, I, was trying, I was saying, oh God, please don't let this be my lack of faith. But when you begin to get that sense in my heart that, that he was going to get to go and be in the presence of God, I had to say to my dad, you know, because he would say, he'd say, son, wouldn't that be awesome? If, if, God, if God would heal me, how many, look how many people would, would turn to God. In my dad's case, there were so many people who saw him hold his faith. And his faith stayed right in line and he never wavered. Even when they said, someone said to him, you know, uh, Mr. Gray, aren't you, aren't you upset with God? And he said, why would I be mad at God? I mean, he forgave me. 67 years of living a life of sin and he washed it all away I'm not mad at God so I understand not everything ends in a miracle but for crying out loud quit using the fact that that didn't end in a miracle as an excuse to quit believing that the next one will it's supposed to happen we are the body of Christ we're the body connected to the head. And if the head is full of miracles and life and hope and joy and supernatural intervention, why shouldn't the body reflect that? So the question is, does your life 
reflect? Does your family reflect? Does your church, does your ministry reflect the manifest presence of God? If you're not happy, if you're not satisfied with the obvious level of the manifest presence of God in your life, then tonight's the night we say, not without you. I won't do church. I won't do family. I won't do life without the manifest presence of God. As soon as Moses made it clear to God, I want your presence more than I want Canaan. God said, I'm in. I'm all in.